Hey there, and welcome to episode 16 of the Beneath the Sats podcast, produced by Wicked Local North Boston. I'm your host, Rama Kitchuk. Joining me today is NHL forward for the Buffalo Sabres, Danny O'Regan. Danny, thanks so much for joining me. Hey, Robbie. Thanks for having me. Now, Danny is from Needham, Massachusetts, and I am as well, which is how we know each other. And he went to St. Sebastian's High School, where he played hockey, and then he was drafted in 2012 in the fifth round by the St. Jose Sharks, and then continued to play hockey at BU. He led BU in points as a freshman. His team won the Hockey East Championship his junior year. He was the assistant captain his senior year, where he was a Hockey East first-team All-Star and the first player to pass the 150-point mark since 1998. He then has made his debut with the Sharks in 2016, was the AHL's Rookie of the Year in Barracuda and made the AHL All-Rookie Team. 2018, he was traded to the Buffalo Sabres, was called up on March 7th, 2018, and he spent most of his time this past year playing in the AHL for Buffalo's affiliate Rochester Americans. So, Danny, you've had a very established hockey career, and I want to get into the hockey career a little bit, but I want to start with the Bruins. And I know that you've been watching the series and you watched the game last night. For those who don't know, in case anyone didn't watch the game, the Blues had a big bounce back win to tie the series up 2-2, two to two, and it really seemed like the Blues played with a different level of urgency and energy than in the previous game. What did you think was the key for the Blues last night? Um... Yeah, they played really well. I thought they were, um, you know, really aggressive. They had their they had their legs going, and uh, you know, they played kind of a must win game for them uh, if you really think about it. So I think they were a little desperate and just kind of threw everything they had at the Bruins, and they couldn't really handle it. Yeah, and you know, I'm not a hockey expert. I've always been a big basketball guy, but it did seem like a big moment in the game was in the second period when the Bruins just couldn't get the puck out of their zone. I don't know if it was a five minute stretch, but it felt like that. When you're watching that as a guy who plays, what are you thinking when you're that player in that situation? Are the guys frustrated? It has to be exhausting when you can't get the puck out of the zone. Yeah, it's that's the worst possible case. When you're just hemmed in for a couple minutes in your zone and the other team gets to change and get fresh guys on the ice. And then, I don't even know, you're, you're the best, you know, we've always been taught to kind of just ice the puck, take a whistle, get 20 seconds to collect yourself at least, and then... Uh, you know, try a little, I don't know, try to get a little gas in the tank. But uh, those situations are so hard. You usually see uh, usually see a goal come from it, or most of the time someone takes a penalty, which I think happened last night after that flurry. But uh, it's, a, it's a tough spot for those good de- defensive guys. And I think kind of a basketball analogy, a way to think about it for me, being more a basketball guy is when you're on defense and there's multiple multiple offensive rebounds and the shot clock resets. Is that kind of like how it is if you're playing hockey in that situation? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I've I've seen a few of those where uh, that happens. It's just a, it's just deflating and you're just tired and you just want it to stop. It's uh, yeah, it's really tough. That's a good analogy though. What has been your takeaway from the series overall so far? Who do you see winning, winning the next two out of three games here? Because from Boston fans, we've had so much winning, and it's just been expected that the Bruins are going to win. I think fans still feel confident about the Bruins, given they have two out of three home games left. But what have you made from the series overall, and who do you think is going to win? Yeah, I think, uh, I think like you said, I mean, home ice is so important. I mean, if you can get that crowd into it and have a good start, I think, guys can usually feed off that energy pretty well so um you know if I'm a Bruins fan I'm not too worried about it obviously game five is a big one but um anything could happen I hope hopefully everyone can stay healthy with the Bruins um 
and they can uh, just play the way they can. They could probably get it done. But both teams are good. They're I don't know. I don't know. The Blues are pretty big. If they they're gonna just try to wear them down, but uh, it'll be a fun last three games. I'm sure it'll go seven games through. And now, as I said, you are from Needham. Were you a Bruins fan growing up? Oh yeah. Yep. <laughs> so. Are you still? How does that all work? Because I know one thing that's really interesting to me is when you do make it to the league and you're now playing against these guys, does that fandom go away? Do they become a team you still root for if you're not playing in the season? How does that work for you? Uh, no, I don't really have uh, a team that I root for at all. I just, yeah, it's kind of, it is kind of weird once you, you start playing and then you play against that team. It's always cool. I got to play a game against the Bruins. It was really cool, but um Right now, I got a lot of friends that play, so I'm more, you know, rooting for individuals. I'm rooting for my buddies to do well, and, um, you know, it's more so hoping for the best for the guys I know rather than, you know, a team to win it or uh, a team to lose, you know, anything like that. So, And when does that fandom go away, or where did it really go away for you if you were a big diehard Bruins fan? Was it in college? Was it when you – made the transition to the NHL and the AHL, or when did that start to change for you? Um, uh, probably on uh, probably on uh, draft day, to be honest with you. I didn't – Yeah. Uh, well, I didn't like them after they didn't draft me, so whatever. <laughs> so and what was it like to play against the Bruins, a team that you grew up watching? Because if I'm growing up and I'm a diehard Red Sox fan or a diehard Celtics fan and – I suddenly make it to the league and play against that team. It's got to be pretty surreal. What was that like for you? Yeah, it was really cool. It was, um, you know, it was awesome. I always grew up, you know, watching, you know, Bergeron it was like my, my favorite player. And, and then I, you know, like I look up and I'm taking a face off against them. It was just, it was really cool. And um, I mean, like Charles and Monster. I mean, it was just like really cool to see some of the guys, obviously, that are still there. That I was that I was rooting for for so long. Um, yeah, it was pretty surreal. It was, it was awesome, but you know, you get into the game and it's kind of just like another game. You got to be pretty focused and everything. But uh, it was definitely cool to play them. Now, if I saw correctly, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you are a free agent since the season just ended for you guys. I know you'd want to play for any team that signs you. And guys always say when they go back to their hometown team, the cliche answer of, "Oh, it'd be always great to play for my hometown team." Would it be any extra special to play for the Bruins, or is this the case where you've gotten to a point where you're happy to play for anyone, which I assume you are, but I guess, is there any sort of extra special feeling if you were to ever play for a team like the Bruins you grew up watching? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it would be really cool. I mean, obviously, lots of friends and family from around here, but um, I mean, yeah, I got, I mean, yeah, that was always kind of a dream to play for the Bruins, but uh, yeah, I'm a free agent this year. Like you said, it's kind of, uh, whatever is the best fit and whatever makes the most sense uh, at this time in my career. But, yeah, it'd always be cool to throw on that Bruins sweater. And you did mention of when you got drafted. And, you made, as I said, you made your debut in 2016. And in an interview, you said something like, quote, it was a dream come true. You called your parents, girlfriend, your closest friends. You'll never forget your debut. What was it like when you got drafted? And then what was it like to make your debut in the NHL? I assume for you and many kids, it's a dream to – play professional hockey or really any sport yeah it was awesome uh you know draft draft day came uh when i was only 18 so that day was uh i went to the draft in pittsburgh it was a long day just kind of waiting for your name to be called and just wondering where you know who's gonna 
was going to own you for the next four years. It's kind of weird. Oh, but it right. was, uh, that day was a little stressful, but you know, when I heard my name called, it was awesome. And, um, you know, big celebration and all that. And then, um, my first game was, uh, it was like insane. I remember those back. That was just a crazy day. It was like, it happened so fast. You just get a call and then you're next thing you know, you're at the rank and you're just, you know, you're throwing your stuff on. You're like, all right, well, I'm about to play in the NHL. This is pretty weird. And, uh, just lots of nerves and just like pretty surreal and uh there's nothing really like it so that first game's pretty pretty special and uh you know I was I was lucky to have it so early but um you know it's it's, it's a fun league to play in so it was just it was an awesome night what do you remember of the first game who were you playing against if you do remember how many minutes did you play were there any big hits you took or any moments you were thinking wow I can't believe I'm playing in the NHL for the first time uh, I played against the Devils. We won four to nothing, so you know it was not too stressful of a game. But um, you know, I, I was kind of playing on. I played on like the fourth line. I probably played like twelve yeah. minutes or so. And you know, my whole mindset was just kind of don't don't screw up, don't make any major mistakes, <laughs> or don't get hit too hard, or anything like that. Which is, uh, you know, just kind of a nervous whatever however old I was, 22-year-old, not trying to make any mistakes. Uh, fortunately, I wish I could go back a little and play with a different mindset where, you know, I'm just kind of like, screw it, whatever happens, happens. I'll play the same game I always do. But, you know, the nerves kick in and you're, you know, a lot of the times the first games, guys are just trying not to make mistakes. But it was uh, it was a really special night and I was I was pumped. How do you maintain those nerves? Are there certain things you do or when you get on the ice – do the nerves calm down or what do you do when you're feeling nervous in a situation like that? And I'm sure that's an extra special one and one you're going to have a lot more nerves than most, but I'm sure that it does happen in certain situations. Yeah, it's, it's that, that game's, you know, it's tough to control. You got a you know, packed crowd and, uh, you know, it's hard to control in games like that, but you just kind of, it's, it sets in um, when you're sitting on the bench, you know, you're, it's just another game when you're out there and, you know, kind of instincts take over when you're on the ice. But, uh, you know, it's kind of in between shifts where you're looking around, you can get kind of distracted and just like, oh, God, <laughs> nerve wracking. But, um, yeah, at the end of the day, it's just another game. And I think, you know, the more and more games you play, the more you get comfortable and, uh, you know, you got get to watch some vets on the team do it. And you just kind of take after those guys. It kind of calms you down a bit. What would you tell other kids who are trying to make it to the NHL or making that transition? What have you learned from your experience or have taken away about that transition? Was it a physicality standpoint, how fast the guys were? What was the biggest thing that you noticed in terms of making the jump from college to the professional level? Yeah, it's uh, the speed is definitely a lot faster. I mean, uh, it's just a split second difference, but you know, that, that means a lot in the game and um and yeah everyone's just huge and strong and a bunch of you know 37 year olds you know <laughs> been playing for 20 years that are just like really smart so there's a lot of adjustments you got to kind of know who you're playing against and uh you know if you're a smaller guy you got to know how to protect yourself if you're you know you got to know how to use your size but uh a big thing in, in having success in a league like that is just you know, having confidence and not not being nervous to make mistakes. You know, it's you just got to go out there and play and have fun and 
you know, you can't worry about if you screw up, this happens. It's just uh, kind of having fun, trying to keep having fun while you're playing at that level. And you mentioned Chara. What is it like to size him up? How big does he look on the ice? Yeah, that guy's he's incredible. He takes up the whole zone and he's, uh, you know, he, he does well. A lot of guys, if you get over, you know, over 640, the knock on those guys is usually they're not too mobile or they're not, you know, they can't skate that well or stick handle that well. But, uh, you know, that guy seems to do it all. And, uh, he's, our, he's, 40, he's 40 or something already now. He's, he's still doing it. So he's he's incredible. And he got hit in the face last night for anyone who didn't watch the game against the puck. And he was blocking the puck. And he was bleeding. And it reminded me, I don't know if you're an Avengers fan, but when Thanos starts bleeding and just the comparison is machine. And he is human, I guess you could see after getting the blood. Yeah, he is. Yeah, those... Guys like that, he doesn't wear uh, the half shield to protect his, his upper half. But, yeah, it's, I mean, especially at this stage of the year, those guys get beat up pretty good, and then they're they're right back at it. It's, uh, it's pretty cool to see. Now, you mentioned the mental side a little bit of nerves in your first game. How much of hockey do you think is mental? For example, in baseball, it's huge. If I'm playing shortstop and I make an error, I might be more susceptible to make another error because my confidence goes down. Or in basketball, if I'm cold shooting – I'm not going to feel good that day. Is it the same way in hockey besides the normal nerves in terms of confidence if you're not playing well? And if you've had certain times when you may not be as confident, how have you coped with that? Uh, yeah, you can get pretty uh, you can get pretty down throughout a game. I mean, if you make a bad play, you get to go back to the bench and think about it for like three or four minutes and then go out there and make another one. It's Or if a coach says something to you, you know, you can get pretty down. but. Uh, you know, that's where, you know, the good leaders step up. They say, pat you on the back, say, just keep going. You just got to, you know, stay positive and, you know, hopefully simplify the game a little and make a good play and get that confidence back. Because if you're, if you're playing without confidence, you're, you're going to look pretty out of place out there. And uh, it's just not that fun to play that way. And how has your confidence been overall since you came into the league? It seems like you've bounced a little bit around between playing some time in the NHL, playing a lot in the AHL. What has your time been like so far in the professional league? Have you been frustrated at times? Have you felt good, felt confident, or what has the process been like for you overall? Yeah, it's been uh, a lot of ups and downs. I mean, um, you know, if you're in the NHL, everything seems to be awesome and doesn't matter how many goals you're scoring or whatever. If you're just there, it's, you know, you know, you're, you're happy and you're positive and everything, but, uh, you know, you can get pretty down when it's middle of February and you're on a bus in the AHL to, to wherever Cleveland. And, uh, you know, those are the times that, you know, guys can get pretty down or not try and stuff like that. But I've tried to, uh, just stay positive and hope for the best and, you know, keep the mindset that anything could happen. And, Someone's always watching you, so you got to just compete and uh, try your best every night and hope for the best. And what's your relationship with your family? I know your brother played hockey. I think it was at Harvard. Dad played in the NHL. I always know that when you're going through tough times and your confidence may be low, the support system's always huge. Have you stayed in touch with your brother, your dad? Have you ever asked them for advice through the ups and downs in your career so far? Yeah, I talk to them both a lot. I talk to... Uh... I talked to my dad a lot about hockey specifically, and he's gone through, uh, he went through a similar path. And um, so he's got a lot of advice and tips and he's, you know, he's pretty much taught me everything I know. And um, and my brother, him and I uh, have a great relationship. We usually just 
keep things light, try not to talk about hockey or anything. Just uh, we just talk about life in general. But we're yeah, we're definitely close. But I got a, I got a great support system, and I uh, you know I'm really lucky. To have I got two sisters that you know go to a bunch of games. My mom will travel anywhere. You know, my girlfriend's great to talk to about that stuff, but she's, uh, I got, so I got a great support system. I'm, I never really get too down. And not to put you on the spot, but is there any specific advice that your dad has told you that has helped you stuck with you playing professional hockey? Um, yeah, we joke about this one thing. He used to tell me what, what I, when I was growing up, uh, you know, I was, I was the type of guy to be outside and playing street hockey for like, 10 hours a day or whatever right anytime he'd see me inside or not not working hard or trying to get better he'd tell me there's some kid in russia that's <laughs> that's doing something or he's shooting pucks off a brick building or whatever he's just motivational in that way but he was never uh he was never hard on me or pushed me too hard or anything but that we always laughed about that one you know i mentioned your brother and your dad played hockey what was it like growing up with both a father and a brother who were obviously bigger than you when you were younger. Did that help you in your development? Uh, yeah, it definitely helped. Uh, I mean, we, me and my brother used to play street hockey, knee hockey. We'd play any, but we'd play baseball, football, all the sports. But uh, yeah, it was, it was awesome playing, just growing up with him. And, you know, I think uh, we both learned a lot from my dad and I got to play, I got to play against Tommy a bunch of times. I was on the short end of the straw more times than not, but uh, <laughs> it was it was awesome just uh, growing up with, with those two and you know learning everything I did from them. Yeah, and I think anyone who has an older brother knows that it only makes you better playing up. I had an older brother playing baseball many years; it always helps. So I definitely know what you're talking about there. I wanted to wrap it up with a few more questions, Danny. Thanks for taking the time again, and then I'll let you go. A couple more things, as I mentioned. I think one area that I'm interested in and people are interested in is the social environment in the NHL and really other professional sports teams in general. What has the social environment been like for you in the locker room with guys in the NHL? Because there is a stereotype in from what it seems like in the media that NHL guys seem to be a lot classier than other athletes. Not that other athletes aren't classy, but it just seemed like they're really genuinely good guys. Have you found that? Has it been a good social environment in the locker room? What has that been like for you in your professional career so far? Yeah, I've been lucky to be on a couple good teams where uh, just awesome guys. Just um, like you said, I mean, just I'm not sure about any of the other leagues. I, I don't, right? I don't know any guys really, but the guys I've come across uh, have just been unbelievable guys and true professionals. They, you know, they work, you know, they work so hard every day, and you know, they got families at home. They only can see them half the time, but uh, it's they're important to them, and they're. You know, as a young guy, it's it's tough. It's nerve-wracking to go in and you see a, a superstar. Like, uh, the Sharks had a, a bunch of them, Thornton, Pee, all those guys. Right. And they're just really nice guys and they take you in and make you feel at home. And, uh, you know, if you have any questions, let me know. Like, and this, and they show you the ropes. And it's just so cool. And, uh, you know, having those guys, it's just, it's unbelievable. But, but yeah, I haven't come across too many bad guys, uh, luckily, and, and uh, I think there's kind of just uh, that, I don't know, that that aura around the league where if you're not a good guy, you're not really, you're not going to make it. And uh, so I think it rubs off on everybody. Yeah, it's interesting because it does seem like they're respectful to the media in a way that other athletes are not. And I don't know if, if you think this is because in part 
of how the media treats the players. For example, in the NBA, there's a lot of back and forth and a lot of frustration with NBA players and how the media treats them and the players treat the media. Have you found that might be the reason for that? Or what is your take on the media and the relationship with the players in the NHL versus maybe other leagues? Yeah, well, I, um, you know, I think a lot of guys are just trying not to be that guy that freaks out on the media or, right. you know, but we're, we're taught, you know, beginning of the year, we have meetings, like, you know, all those guys are just trying to do their jobs too. And, uh, you know, you got to have respect for them and, you know, if, they write a bad story about you then whatever just don't read it or you know try not to get wrapped up in it uh if they ask you a, a tough question just you know just give a a short little answer don't no need to freak out or anything they're just trying to do their jobs just like we're trying to do ours so uh you know it's it's something that's kind of talked about in the league but i don't think anyone yeah i, I don't know it's it's tough when that stuff happens i feel bad but uh I think I don't think any of the guys around me are just trying to be the guy that stands out in a bad way like that. Yeah, well, you can go with the short cliche answers for all the other stuff, but obviously on the podcast, we're we're throwing it all out there, right? right. Yeah. <laughs> I want to wrap it up here. In terms of your off season, what's it going to look like for you, Danny? As we said, you're a free agent. What's the schedule looking like for you for the next few months? And what are your thoughts on your off season? Um. I've just moved into a place in South Boston. And, oh, nice. Um, I'm going to be doing some workouts at uh, back at BU where, where I uh, used to work out and skating a few times a week and uh, maybe a couple other little things, just some sh- shooting some pucks and stuff like that, just trying to get ready. And uh, July 1st is the big day for free agents. That's, that's the earliest they can sign. So I'll just be uh, – you know, talking, shopping around, see who's uh, interested and hopefully can come to a decision uh, sometime in July. And then uh, just gearing up for the season, ready to go. And last question before you go, what are the odds that I hear in the news Daniel Regan signs for the Boston Bruins? <laughs> I don't know. That'd be pretty That'd be pretty cool. But uh, I don't know if I could come up with the number right now. I don't know. <laughs> That'd be pretty cool, but uh, I'll let you know if I do. (laughs) Sounds good. Well, Danny, thanks so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. I appreciate the effort you went to just making the podcast happen, and thanks so much for taking the time. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much to Danny O'Regan again for joining the podcast. It was really interesting to hear his perspective on the series so far as a guy who plays in the league, but that's enough Bruins talk. I'm recording this on a Tuesday. They play Thursday. Big game. Big game five. And as I said, I still think the Bruins are going to win. I'm not a hockey expert. I'll say that a million times, so I don't act like I am. I am one of these bandwagon fans. However, I feel good about the Bruins. They've got a championship DNA from what I've seen. And I still think we're going to get our three-peat parade. But anyway, moving on, I want to end the podcast by transitioning to the Red Sox. And eight and a half games back in the East, big win over the Yankees with David Price pitching a couple of days ago. And... It's been an inconsistent season so far for the Red Sox. And one area of concern that we talked about before the season and is still a big issue during the season is the relief pitching. And one of the big reasons for that is no Craig Kimbrell. And we knew this going in. The Red Sox should have signed Craig Kimbrell. One of the reasons why they didn't sign Kimbrell is because it would go over the luxury tax and they didn't want to pay that extra fine, from what I've heard. But... Given what we've seen, they should have signed Kimbrell, and it's not my money, so it's easy for me to say. But 
they need a consistent closer to nail down the ninth so that everyone else can do their jobs. And Barnes and Brazier or Workman or Walden should not be pitching the ninth. That should be Kimbrell, and don't use Kimbrell in the playoffs. That's fine. But they're really missing Kimbrell right now. I think that's one real concern for the Sox. But I want to dispel one narrative that it's somehow Alex Cora's fault for mismanaging the bullpen this year. And yes, has he made some bad mistakes? Sure he has. I haven't watched every game, but managers make mistakes all the time. But the fact that you would blame Alex Cora, and I've heard this on Sports Talk Radio, which is why I'm mentioning it. The fact that you would blame Alex Cora for the collective group's poor performance because of when he's pitching certain guys, to me is ridiculous. Number one, it's on Dave Dombrowski. Or even before that, it's on ownership if the reason why they didn't keep Kimbrell was because they didn't want to pay him. But assuming that it was a Dombrowski decision, which again, if it's the luxury tax, it might not have been. But if it was a Dombrowski decision, then it, this is 100% on Dombrowski. He didn't give Cora enough guys to manage the job. It's not easy dealing with guys when you don't have a ninth inning guy who's consistent. So that's number one, is Cora does not get the blame for this, or if he's going to get any blame, it's going to be the last blame. Because number one, I put it on ownership slash Dombrowski. Number two, I put it on the relief pitchers. Now, one thing Sports Talk Radio guys have said in Boston is that Cora hasn't had a consistent ninth inning guy, and he's pitched Barnes, for example, in the eighth. And the fact that guys can't get in consistent roles, they have struggled because of that. And to that, I say, if you're a leaf pitcher, figure it out. These guys aren't good enough to have defined roles. And I almost give an example to the Celtics players of how guys blame Brad Stevenson for not having them to have definitive roles, which again, in partly I did give Brad Stevens some blame, but mostly I've put it on the players because these guys aren't good enough to have an established 7th, 8th, ninth. Core is still figuring that out. And Core was given this collective group of terrible pitchers and Walden's is pitching great. Brazier's not going to be the same guy. We knew that. He's going to be fine, but... They don't have the guys to consistently rely on to expect Cora to go with a 7th, 8th, ninth. And not only that, but when you look around the league now, there's a reason why there's a trend of what they're not pitching closers in just the ninth inning. And it's a good trend, and I'm all with guys who complain about baseball analytics and making bad decisions. In this one, I've been saying this for years, in that your best pitcher should pitch in the best spot, biggest moment of the game. That's not always the ninth inning. If it's a 5th inning... And the biggest moment of the game is when you're up one and the base load with no outs. That's when you should bring in your closer. I don't care about the fine roles. You bring in your best pitcher, the most important part of the game. And if the relief pitchers can't deal with that, then they need to have better mental toughness and get other guys in that can. But to me, it's on the relief guys because look at how certain managers like Francona are utilizing relief pitchers, especially in the playoffs. He's using Andrew Miller, his best reliever, in the 5th, 6th, and 7th because people have figured out that it's not always the ninth inning that's the most important. So the criticism towards Cora for using a guy like Barnes in the eighth is not a justified criticism because if that's the biggest spot, put your best reliever in there. And not only that, but he's not even good enough to be the ninth inning guy consistently. So Dombrowski ownership players. And then at the end, Cora a little bit maybe. But to sum all this up, they don't have enough relief. We knew that before the season. We knew that Brazier wasn't going to be the same. They don't have a consistent closer. They don't have Kimbrell from a year ago. Avaldi's hurt as a starting rotation, so that their depth overall in pitching is, is worse than it was. And you sum that all up, and you have the inconsistent play, the poor performance so far to begin the year. But I think they're going to be okay. I think they're going to make the playoffs. Will they win the East? Maybe not. I don't know. 
it's going to be tough to win this year because they're already eight and a half back, so they're going to have to claw their way back. Do you think they're going to play better? Absolutely. If you enjoyed this podcast, please feel free to check out my other episodes on the Wicked Local North of Boston website or on my social media accounts. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Robbie Victor for the latest podcast information. Thanks so much for listening.